0: Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I will be reading part two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled Family Portrait. So Neville continues to tell his audience, So you desire to live and you want to be perpetually tied to someone you don't even know. And yet know you are tied to one that you've been tied to for years and years. She's a lady my senior by quite a few years. And here she has been happy. But it wouldn't be that one by their concept. It would be a proxy she had never met before. But she will not meet him. She will find herself in this world, and she may not find herself in the environment where she makes the contact with her present husband. She may be married again to another, because in the world into which we go, we marry, as told us in Scripture. If you want to find the passage, read the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Those who do not marry are only those who are resurrected, because the resurrected are above the organization of sex, and they marry no more. Why? Because they cannot die any more. They are now sons of God, being sons of the resurrection, Luke twenty thirty six, and they do not create under a divided image. So anyone who is resurrected here at that moment in time when he departs this section, others see him go and call him dead. He is not dead. Neither will he be restored to life in a world like this. He will be born in a new age, and that age is entirely different. He will be clothed with the divine body. That body is heaven itself. For whatever he or wherever he is clothed, as he will be then, is heaven. For nothing can remain imperfect in his presence. He passes by. And everything that is imperfect as he walks by becomes perfect. It can't remain imperfect. His perfection and everything in his world must be perfect without raising a finger. He doesn't raise a finger to make it so. No, he walks by and the blind see and the lame jump. Arms that are missing come back into their sockets. Everything is made perfect because he is perfect. That is heaven. For heaven means harmony. And wherever he goes he turns hell into harmony, hell into heaven. But those who are not resurrected are restored to life, and everyone is restored into lovely bodies, and nothing imperfect. If you are blind here, you are not going to continue blind, you will see perfectly. If your limbs are missing, they will not be missing there. You will be young, not a child, young, about twenty, and perfect, but to continue the aging process, all the problems that confront you here, they are going to confront you there. For he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the unveiling in you of the Lord Jesus Christ as you. Philippians 1.6 and the Revised Standard Version. So he unveils you as the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is your own wonderful human imagination. And the body that you will wear will be that divine body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the picture. So here, the family portrait is the gospel. It is eternally true. And now, at this moment and forever, it is extant in the depths of your own soul. And one day it will unfold in you. And everything said of him in the gospel, you are going to experience. Not as a spectator seeing it of another, but as yourself. And when you experience it, you will tell others. And they will see you in that role they will see you and then one day because they saw you and you've told them they themselves will experience all that you've experienced as told you in the 14th chapter of John all that i have done you will do and even greater things than these you shall do john 14:12 because i am going to send the holy spirit and he will bring to your remembrance all that i have told you john 14:26 he will bring to your remembrance The whole thing unfolds within you, and then you will tell others, and they will see you in the role, with all its side issues. Then they themselves become witnesses to the truth, and in them the whole thing unfolds, and eventually everyone is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the end, there is nothing but God. But while we are here, we can use the law that was given us. It's a simple law, and it will not fail you. But you must believe in him, and you cannot believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in someone other than your own wonderful human imagination, not the real Lord Jesus Christ. If you want results, believe in the true Jesus, and the true Jesus is your imagination, and all things are possible to the human imagination, therefore all things are possible to Jesus Christ. So imagine yourself, and you name it, believe in the reality of what you imagine. Persist in that assumption, and that assumption, though at the moment that you made it, it is denied by your senses, if you persist in it, it will become a fact. It will actually harden into some objective state. Now you test him, and see if this is not true concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if it works that way, why then? Who did it? Well, you can't deny you did it. Well then, if all things are made by him, And without him not anything is made that is made, John 1, 3. And you know honestly that you did it? Aren't you, Jesus Christ? If I now assume that I am elsewhere, and reason denies that I am, my senses deny it, my pocketbook denies it, that I could even make the trip, if all of a sudden things change, and compel me to make the trip, and what I did in imagination I am then compelled to do in the flesh, and I find myself actually there in the not-distant future, I didn't devise the means, I didn't build the bridge of incidents. I went across that bridge and I came to the point where I actually was in imagination prior to the physical trip. Well, then, who did it? Well, all things were done by him, and I remember what I did. And so memory doesn't tell me I remember exactly what I did. And then here, I now do it physically. Well, haven't I found Jesus? So when you read in scripture I have found him, John one forty five, found what? I have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote Jesus the Messiah. Well then where is he now? Well come and see, John one hundred forty six. And then they went up into the place. And it was the tenth hour, John two thirty nine, and so they remained with him. Now, the mono translation of the Bible tells us it was four o'clock in the afternoon. What nonsense. It hasn't a thing to do with four o'clock in the afternoon. I know the day, and the Hebraic language starts at 6 a.m., and it goes through, but it isn't four o'clock in the afternoon. The prophet meant exactly what he said when he said it was the tenth hour. Well, in the language of the Bible, these hours are significant, and ten does not mean four in the afternoon. Ten is a letter yod. And the letter Yod has a symbol of the hand. It's a creative hand, and the symbol is a seed. It's a creative seed. They speak of him as a carpenter. What is a carpenter? You and I think of a man with a hammer and nails. And he builds a house, or he builds a chair. He's a carpenter. Not in scripture. A carpenter means one who produces from seed, just as a mother, as a plant, as the earth, to be born, to be delivered, to bring forth. Bringing forth from seed. Well, ten means seed. So he was at the creative point and they remained to learn the story of creation. So they came to him and because it was the tenth hour they remained and did not depart. And they say it's four o'clock in the afternoon. It hasn't a thing to do with any four o'clock in the afternoon. This comes to the point where now they are going to discuss the creativity of God. It is ten. The hour is ten. And here is the seed, and this is how it works. What's the seed? Tell me what you want. That's that's a seed. Well, how do I plant it? How do you plant it? What would it be like? What would the feeling be like if it were true that you had it? That's how you plant it. Then I become a carpenter, and I build from scratch. I actually build from the seed, the seed being my desire, my hope, my longing. I assume that I am, but at that moment of assumption, my reason denies, or my reason and my senses deny, but I dare to assume it. Well, that's the carpenter. So they went to the carpenter's house, and it was the tenth hour, and he shows them the secret of bringing things out as you would out of the earth, out of the woman, out of the plant. Well, there must be a seed there. The seed is your want, your desire, your desire. And so, in the modern version, they have it translated into what is called the modern English, and call it 4 p.m. or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You will miss the entire mystery of Scripture if you start doing that with the words of Scripture. These meanings are unique, and they are forever, and you can't change them. Here is one told in the book of John. They say John did not tell of the birth. They say that only Matthew told it, and then Luke told it. So Matthew and Luke tell us of the birth of God, with the symbol of a child signifying that God was born. But where is it in the other Gospels? Well, here it is in the end of John. They came to the tomb, and they found not the body of the Lord, for he was risen. The Lord was risen. But they found the linen clothes, and then they found the napkin, lying not with the linen clothes, but lying apart from the linen clothes, John twenty three through 7. When you read that and start to translate it into modern English, they don't know what they are talking about. The linen clothes symbolize the physical body, out of which he departed. You will see it when you come out, but now, what is a napkin? The napkin in ancient times had very many more meanings than today. We speak of a dinner napkin, a cocktail napkin, a sanitary napkin, but in the ancient world, the napkin meant the placenta. The afterbirth. If I see the symbol of the afterbirth, then a birth took place. What took place? I see the evidence of a birth. I see the napkin. What was born here? Well, God was born here. Where was He born? Out of that thing that you now call linen clothes that wrapped Him. Well, where was the napkin? Well, the napkin was not around the loins of a woman. The napkin was around His face that's where he was born. He came out of his skull. He came out of his head. He didn't come out of the loins of a woman, out of the womb of a woman. So here we find the napkin, the placenta, the afterbirth, signifying that something great was born here this day. And because it was a napkin, and the napkin covered his face, it was out of the skull that the birth took place. If you try to change that into modern English, you're going to ruin it. Thus, whole story is everlastingly true, and it's all about you," he said to them. "Everything that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled." Luke 24:44. "And you are my witnesses," Isaiah 43:10. Then he said, "We are going up to Jerusalem, and all that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished." Luke 18:31. But they did not understand this. Luke 18:34. It was beyond their grasp. He's going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is above the skull. I am going up now, and all that is said about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms will be accomplished, but in time. He explained to them the mystery of Scripture. So here I tell you, Jesus Christ is the pattern man. Don't expect to see him on the outside. He is the pattern, a pattern that is buried in every man. And that pattern contains the plan of redemption. So when the pattern begins to erupt in you like a seed erupting in the earth, then the whole thing is beginning to unfold. And everything said there you are going to experience. And everything said or everything said there you are going to experience. So Paul warns the people to whom he writes, especially his friend Timothy. And he said, follow the pattern of the true words that you have heard from me. Guard the truth which has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. 2 Timothy 1.13-14 You guard this truth which you have heard. It's all within you, and if you are tempted to turn on the outside to to some external God, remember these words and go back and turn to the only true God. And the only true God is your own wonderful human imagination. That is the immortal you that cannot die that survives every blow in the world that survives the grave it survives everything it cannot die if you die tonight at the age of 100 and you were completely gone physically and demented you will not be demented after the departure of the immortal you it will restore itself in a new body a young body with no loss of faculty no loss of anything but still continuing the journey that is necessary. "'until you reach that point in Jerusalem where the thing erupts within you. "'And then you are born from above. "'So what is he doing now?' asked the mother. "'And then James, the brother, answered, and then Simon answered, and Peter answered. "'And they all brought back these many reports. "'But he has never seen, for he is the invisible you. "'Can you see your imagination? "'You can see the fruit of its efforts, but you can't see imagination. "'Look around you.' Everything here was once only imagined. So you see the results of an imaginal activity, but you don't see imagination. He is the invisible God. So he comes to us as one unknown, one that is invisible, yet one who, in some mysterious manner, lets man experience who he is. So when you experience who he is, it's yourself, and there is no other. As we are told, unless you believe that I am he, You die in your sins, John 8 24. Unless you believe that I am or that I am is he, you die in your sins. He also said, Before Abraham was, I am, John 8.58, and then they stoned him with the facts of life. You are not yet fifty, and you are before Abraham. No, this script has no punctuation in the original script. Read it with punctuation. Put the punctuation differently. Before Abraham was, and he put it, I am, put it now before Abraham, before Abraham comma was, I am, nothing precedes him, nothing precedes I am, for that is the name of God forever and forever and forever. Nothing came before it because he has not, or he has no precedent. He is without father, without mother, no father or mother. He, he is the origin of all. He has not originated from something other than himself. He is the origin of all. So before Abraham, comma, was I am, John eight fifty eight. Now we can make it more sensible. Before Abraham was I am. All right, that's perfectly all right. But this changes it somewhat. Unless you believe that I am is he, you die in your sins, John eight twenty four. That is, you remain to miss the mark. Well, if you believe that I am as your own wonderful human imagination, then you can't miss the mark, because all things are possible to him, Mark 9, 23. And you simply imagine the state desired. Persist in that imaginal state, and it will come to pass. So the story, as told us in the scripture, is everlastingly true. No one can change it. Do not add the words of this book. Do not take from it or add to it. Yet man goes on forever and ever changing it, adding to it, trying to make sense out of it. It does make sense if you have had the experience. I have had the experience and I would not try to alter one word. I have tried to put it back into its original frame when I find translations that are not true. You find insertions in it. You find interpolations that should not be there, but some try overzealous put his own beliefs into it. What he thinks the scribe ought to have said, "'The family portrait is your portrait. It's all about you. As told you in the 40th Psalm, in the volume of the book, it is all about me, Psalm 47. I did not refrain my lips. I told the great congregation. I told them all that it was all about me, Psalm 49. And now you write it. And may I tell you, you can't restrain the impulse to tell it either.' When it happens to you, you cannot restrain it. You become like Jeremiah, and then you say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire set up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in and cannot. Jeremiah 29. You can't hold it in. You will simply spill over, and you will tell it. No matter where you are, you can be standing at a bar. The occasion will arise for you to tell it. You will tell it while you are drinking at a bar. You can't keep it in. It's like a burning fire. And you will tell it, and you do not care where you are. You go to church to tell it? That's no more holy than standing at a bar. If anyone tells you that it is a more holy place, forget it. Wherever you are is holy. And when you are born from within and born from above, where on earth could you go that is holier than where you are? You don't have to go into a church to feel more holy or into some temple. Wherever you are is holy ground. So the great story, this family portrait was right in its place, because the one of whom they spoke was not seen. They only heard the story about him. And what he is saying now, or what is he saying now? What is he doing now? And they brought the report of what he was saying, and the mother wrung her hands. She was concerned that it was told in that manner, because it must be told in a way that it can enter in at lowly doors. So you tell it in the form of a story, but eventually you've got to find out the truth of that story and take off the covers. And are we not told in scriptures, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and one by a free woman, Galatians 4.22. Now, said Paul, this is an allegory. Galatians 4:24, Revised Standard Version. An allegory is a story told as if it were true, leaving the one who hears it to discover its particular character and learn its meaning. For if it is an allegory, and Abraham begins the genealogy in the story of Matthew, well, then if the origin is an allegory, what is the end? The end of the entire genealogy is Jesus. You start with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and all the way down, culminating in Jesus. Now Paul, the earliest of all the writers of the New Testament, tells us that the story of Abraham and Sarah is an allegory. Well, if that is an allegory, then all the way down it has to be. Therefore, find out what the story is all about. For an allegory is simply a great truth concealed. Therefore, discover the fictitious character of the story and learn its meaning. Whatever it is, an allegory to begin with. All ends run true to origins. If the origin is an allegory, the end is. So to, so find out what it is trying to tell you. Well, if it's trying to tell us our own story and the whole drama unfolds within us, and you are the Lord Jesus Christ. Every little child born of woman, his true identity is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is taught, in the beginning, to turn on the outside for his own true identity, and he worships the shadow, because he has to turn within to find it. And it can't even be near, for nearness would imply separation. It isn't even near. It's his very being. Now what is so near that if it isn't even near to man? Where could you go that you are not in imagination? Where on earth could any man go that he is not in imagination? I have seen this body apart from myself, but no matter where I go, I cannot get away from my imagination. I have stepped out of this body and seen it on a chair. I have seen it on the bed in a state of catalepsy, and seen it as something distinct from myself, but I can't go any place where I am distinct from being. Wherever I am, well, that's where I am. That's my reality, and that is my imagination. I can't even claim my imagination. I am the reality named imagination. And so I can't go any place and get away from that reality. Well, I can get away from this, indicating the physical body. And if I can get away from this, this isn't my reality. Anything from which I can move and see it as other than myself cannot be that basic being that I am. A man can be poor today and rich tomorrow. Therefore he's neither poor nor rich. These are attributes that he can apply a law toward being, identify himself with wealth, and become wealthy. But tomorrow, by a change in attitude, he can become poor. Therefore, wealth wasn't his reality. It wasn't a true being. It was only an attribute. Therefore, poverty is not true. He can get away from poverty, but he can't get away from his true being, which is I am. He can't get away from imagining. No matter where you go in the world, I am there. Therefore, you can say, I am with you always, even to the very ends of time. Matthew 28, 20. You can't get away from it. I can be a great anything, banker, artist, anything. But I can't get away from it. Therefore, that is not my reality. Or I can get away from it. Therefore, that is my reality. But I can't get away from this reality that is named imagination. Now I tell you from my own experience that the eternal story, that family portrait, as given to us in the gospel, is eternally true and still extant in the very depths of consciousness. And that is the being that you really are. That's your story. That is your real, true autobiography. And you come into this world of death to overcome death. And the overcoming of death is a reenactment within you of the story as told in the gospel concerning your true identity which is Jesus Christ. Now let us go into the silence. Okay, so that is the end of part two of Neville Goddard's lecture, Family Portrait. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Have a wonderful day, and I will see you guys next time.